Welcome to the HR on the Offensive podcast, brought to you by Lace Partners. Good afternoon and good evening and welcome to the latest HR on the Offensive podcast. It's me, Chris Howard from Lace Partners. Thank you very much for joining me as always. And I'm back in the hot seat with Partner in Crime. And by the end of this podcast ends, we need to think of another detective duo that would represent us and who we should be. Maybe we should even ask our guest for today uh, to Ooh. have a little think by the end of the podcast. She has to name us because just as a bit of a context, Melissa, uh, and this is Melissa Paris, for the lead lead people scientist at Culture. Hello. I'm going to get Melissa to just introduce herself and what she does in a minute. But just for a bit of context, for some reason, Emma and I have now got into this routine of trying to think of which crime-fighting duo we would be uh, if we were personified on the big screen. Yes, so, uh, this is a good one for me to mull over, actually. I need to, like, you may get some American references in here, but <laughs> that's Love a it. good one for me to think on. Love it. We've had Sharky and George. We've had Cagney and Lacey. Turner and Hooch, I think, was one. And I was, oh, no. not, going to, <laughs> was, I was not going to call mm. myself, I was not going to call my uh, my lovely partner, Emma, Hooch. So I took that one. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a <laughs> I good, that good call there. <laughs> so, uh, Melissa, if you could just tell our listeners just a little bit about yourself and what you do at uh, Coltramp, and then just a little bit about Coltramp as well as a business, please. Awesome. Of course. Yes. Hi, everyone. I am Melissa Paris. I lead our EMEA region of our people science practice at Coltramp. So if you're not familiar with Coltramp, we are a people and culture platform that gives companies the complete picture of the measures and drivers of the employee experience at their organization. Um, and so that's really broken down into two core areas. So firstly, we help companies to drive the culture of their organization by helping them collect, understand, and most importantly, act on employee feed, uh, feedback around areas like engagement, well-being, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And then second, we know that for organizations to thrive, the individuals within those organizations need to thrive. And so culture and performance drives the development and the performance of individuals within an organization. Uh, and so we really have the, the privilege of, of talking to thousands of organizations about their culture and what they can focus on to improve it. And the team uh, of people scientists that I lead in EMEA is our team of, of organizational psychologists mostly that work with our customers and, and make sure that their, their feedback and their performance strategies are valid and effective from a scientific perspective. Cool. And, and we're going to talk today about a blog that you guys wrote, a think piece that you guys wrote. It was a little bit earlier on in the year, which is based on some uh, research that you conducted in 2020. Mm -hmm. And we will put in the show notes of this podcast a link to the blog itself so people can actually read the detail on the Culture Amp website. But it's called Hindsight is 2020, Five Insights from Culture Amp's COVID-19 Survey. And what we wanted to do today is just with my partner in crime, and I'm going to let Emma just have a have a go at the first question and look at the first hindsight with you it's just to kind of get your thoughts on those five hindsights yeah and then also how that may have changed because i appreciate that the, the blog was written obviously a number of months ago and we're now well into you know we're into august of 20, 2021 so uh, it'd be good to get your flies, eh? i know it's mad. <laughs> 
It's mad. We'll be we'll be beyond the panic, the pandemic, and into 2022, and everything will be fine again before you know it. Maybe. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, Ems, I don't know if you just want to uh, yeah. just chip in with the first first question for Melissa. Sure, really happy to. Um, I'm really looking forward to exploring some of these with you, Melissa. So the first, I think, theme I guess that that came through from some of your your hindsight research was around whether leaders have stepped up or not, I guess, um, over the past year or so. And there's some quite interesting statistics in the blog, and I'm sure more that sits behind that with all of your, your data sets as well. For example, you know, you saw a 4% overall increase in engagement uh, during the height of the pandemic, which when you think of everything that was going on and mm. everything that um, different employees in different industries and us personally as individuals, obviously, we're all going through, that's quite an interesting thing to see. So I guess just from your point of view, whether there were some things in there that you think were really driving that, um, whether it was behaviours, communications, that type of thing, whether that surprised you as well. Yeah. And I I mean, very early on, if I'm thinking back to the start of of 2020, uh, and I'm talking like the very first few customers that we saw gathering feedback through the pandemic, uh, I think I and and some others started to see anecdotal increases in employee engagement. And that's really where I remember feeling the most surprised that engagement was going up. You know, at that stage, we didn't really know what to compare this experience to. And we were we were just learning as we went. But after that, uh, you know, after we saw those anecdotal increases and we reflected, we did start to ask ourselves, you know, a global pandemic is new for us, but what experiences might this be similar to that we can learn from and understand how people are psychologically going to respond? And what we arrived at was people responding to a crisis. Um, You know, if we think about things like natural disasters or financial crises or, uh, you know, national tragedies, how people typically respond to those situations provided us a framework that we might be able to to kind of learn from. And so one of the models that, you know, our people science team ended up encountering was one put forward by the the Washington State Department of Health, which essentially noted that with a crisis, there would be some anxiety leading up as that crisis approached. But then there's essentially this kind of quote unquote honeymoon period where people band together to fight and respond to that crisis at hand. And so the more we spoke to our customers, the more they reflected that back at us, which was essentially that their employees banded together for the most part through what was a really difficult time. I think that model does also show that that honeymoon period typically wears off and returns to a sense of normalcy. So we've really moved from maybe being surprised at the increase in engagement to kind of expecting it to go up and then perhaps see a dip again as we kind of move into that quote unquote new normal. And so a lot of our conversations centered around what things do you need to focus on as an organization so that you can maintain that increase for those that experienced it as much as possible going forward. And I think to your point around like what drove that, you know, for example, when we dug deeper into the data, we found that leadership specifically uh, saw the largest jumps in employee perception. So the pandemic really was, and in many ways probably still is, like a, a make or break moment for leaders. And a lot of leaders rose to that challenge. Uh, we saw the item Uh, The leaders at my company keep me informed about what's happening. That increased by over 13%. The leaders at my company demonstrate that people are important to the company's success. That went up by almost 9%. And so 
you know, for me, even just seeing what customers are doing, I noticed that leaders really took this as an opportunity to be a bit more vulnerable and open with their employees and communicate directly a lot more frequently. And employees really responded to that. And that kind of played a big factor throughout the pandemic. And in many cases will be something that organizations need to focus on and maintaining going forward to maintain that that engagement. Yeah, I think for me, that's one of the most fascinating questions, which is, so how do we maintain not a culture of crisis, but by any stretch, because that isn't sustainable, but how do you harness all of those positive things that happened in that situation, both Mm -hmm. the teams, but also harness the change in leadership behaviors that we've seen and guess the risk is, you know, you go back to normal in inverted mm-hmm. commas and those behaviours, particularly at leadership level and teams, then they start to go back to how they were. They all just revert back to normal. And then you you lose some of that. I don't know what, what you'd call it, but the essence of, of all of that that we've gone through that made things a success and had that yes. positive change. I don't know what the answer is, but but yeah, just really curious as to do you see that potentially happening? And also, you know, what might that mean maybe for the way that we think about developing leaders perhaps in the future? Yeah. And I think that is the risk is that we kind of go back to the way that we were doing things before. What we really saw was the impact that this new kind of leadership communication had, and they had to stretch their muscles and learn new behaviors. I think during the pandemic, when it came to communicating with compassion and in particular transparency. Mm -hmm. Um, And so looking forward, we're kind of predicting that the leaders that maintain those new skills will be better positioned to navigate that new normal and take some of the learnings of the pandemic into that next phase. I mean, employees needing transparency and honesty and fairness and feeling like they're kind of being treated with respect from their leaders, that is not new to the pandemic. That has always been the case. But I definitely think that leaders got to practice these skills in a very new way. And that's what's going to be important to take forward. And like you said, maybe upskilling leaders around these things and keeping humanity at the center of our communications going forward. Yeah, I think that whole authentic leadership piece, it's always been important to to what you've just said. But I think now everyone expects that because of what we've seen it's just it has to be there so for me that poses a really interesting question when you are going through selecting and developing leaders of the future so you might be hiring in a new leader in a business Mm -hmm. so how do you actually test that authenticity is there that that's a really interesting question and then how do you develop authenticity actually some people have behaviors that lend themselves nicely to being transparent open others you might need to coach and develop that so yeah very very fascinating and and one we could talk a lot about which is Mm -hmm. the whole point of this podcast so so Chris I mean from from your point of view I want to hand back over to you and see any thoughts yourself on that or or maybe around sort of the next the next theme I certainly think that there has been I think a lot of people are mindful of the what next and mm-hmm. you know I, we we all reacted as leaders we all reacted quickly we were all able to support people but you can't keep that cadence up forever so there's the balance that needs to be struck and that's actually kind of a segue into the second hindsight which is covid didn't bring work-life balance this is an interesting one because 15 percent mm-hmm. of remote working was pre-pandemic and then, and then there was 75 percent post-pandemic and in the actual piece it talks about how people can't switch off Um, yeah and this is interesting because and this comes to almost the next site and the next stage and when this blog was written you guys were talking at the beginning of 2021 we're now into the stage where people have done the zoom calls to death they've 
live their life remote working and they're starting to now like I'm in the office as we speak and Em's at home and obviously you're at home Melissa mm-hmm. so it's working out that balance so I just wanted you to just reflect on that hindsight to what's where are we at now from your opinion Melissa and has that changed much from what, when you guys were writing this piece at the beginning of the year? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think essentially the, the real takeaway for us is that even though employees gained quite a bit of flexibility in how they work, they essentially weren't as easily able to switch off from their work. And so in our trend data, there were only three questions out of over 60 that declined during 2020. And one of them was unable to arrange time out of work when I need to which kind of depicts that like always on reality that I think a lot of us saw over the past year and 18 months, like that really hasn't changed. And I, I think this reflection still stands. We're still trying to experiment as to what that looks like. Uh, and so since the start of the pandemic, we could see pretty, you know, a pretty big impact on employees' workloads, particularly around things like redundancies and furloughs and short time work that led organizations to do more with fewer resources. And so, you know, these are bringing up uh, elements of work-life balance that we hadn't seen before. It's also bringing up other feelings, especially when there are things like redundancies around like survivor's guilt and feelings of anxiety and like what's going to happen to my role. And I say all of that really just to note that it's probably never been more crucial to consider how the enhance of like psychological health of employees and work-life balance is going to, you know, prevent burnout and turnover. Um, And I think a lot, what we're seeing is that a lot of companies are doing just that, you know, again, they're, they're experimenting with ways to prioritize well-being, to rethink about holidays, to explore what they as organizations can do, what also individuals can do. And so a couple of things that we've seen work well in this kind of experimental phase is to focus more frequently on recognizing great work uh, in the organization. So even outside of formal acknowledgements, implementing systems of kind of more continuous feedback to show employees that their contributions and work isn't going unnoticed there to kind of increase their well-being and reduce that stress. And in addition to recognition, also providing really crucial training and resources to managers to enable them to support their team's well-being is really crucial as well. I mean, I say that as a, as a manager, like we're expecting a lot of managers during this time to not only be coaches and increase performance and make sure you reach your goals, but also like support the well-being and help employees set boundaries around their work-life balance. Um, And so we've seen a lot of, in particular, our customers like leaning on like our skills coaching and one-to-one templates and functionality to kind of give managers the knowledge and support that they need to help their teams set those effective boundaries and and buffer against burnout. So really looking forward, especially as we start to see organizations continue remote working or implement this like hybrid model, the focus is going to have to be less on employees getting work done effectively remotely and more on being able to set boundaries and truly switch off and, and step away from work. Yeah, I think this for me, this is the big culture question, isn't it? Because there's going to be some organisations that naturally can just lean into, well, you know, we we had some flexible working, we had some remote working, we've given it a try, but now we've been forced into it. And it turns out that we we were quite good at it. And now we've got we've got the culture of 
openness, transparency of, you know, we want to embrace well-being. We really have the empathy and we trust our people. And then you've got other businesses. I don't know whether or not this is broken down into an industry type thing, but probably not. It's just the business and the culture of that business that if it's not geared up, then they're, they're finding it really struggle, a struggle and they will continue to find a struggle unless they start to shift their culture. Because then if yeah. they don't shift their culture, then they're just going to lose talent as well, aren't they? It's a bigger gap, right? They're like going, they're starting at a very different starting point. Mm. And I wish I could remember the stats, but I was reading the other day. I mean, we've all been hearing about the great resignation, right? Where people are leaving their jobs in greater numbers than we've seen historically. And it was about how this is different in different industries. So, you know, arguably the more traditional industries with probably less flexibility who haven't made a point to really speed up their progression are seeing more people leave. Whereas uh, industries like tech, for example, who are probably better aligned to more flexible working are actually seeing greater numbers of, of hiring and they're, you know, seeing they're, you know, uh, able to attract more talent. And so, yeah, I do think that it's important to be cognizant of where your starting point is, but your culture is going to be the thing that kind of gets you through it. And listening to what your employees want is going to be equally as important. I mean, your, your culture as a, perhaps a more traditional organization, there are going to be things about your organization that people love, you know, that not everyone wants this like tech startup environment. And so it's about hearing like, okay, maybe those aren't the, the things that our employees are looking for, but what are the things that they're looking for and how can we really focus on those things to make sure that they are able to see themselves here longer term. And on the subject, Melissa, of kind of setting boundaries and switching off, the fifth to sort of jump to, but the fifth um, hindsight or kind of reflection is around HR specifically. And I thought yes. it might be quite nice to pick up on that, having talked about broader organisational boundaries and how everyone in the organisation is feeling. And HR, you know, have been in quite a unique position over the past sort of 12, 18 months, having to deal with supporting the organisation and the stress of that, the types of things that's involved, the emotional elements of managing mass redundancies in some industries, all of those types of things, just helping people, right? Being that mm -hmm. friend on the end of the phone for I'm having a really tough day today, my line manager isn't supporting me, etc. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I think... We tend to forget that, you know, I do a lot of work with, with HR organizations around how can you make your teams more effective? And actually on those programs, sometimes we don't even think about the impact of the program on the HR team. So when I was looking at some of their kind of dimensions, I think there were 10 different dimensions um, in the blog. And on all of those, it was a negative, i.e., it got worse, the perception. Mm -hmm. And the two that really stood out to me, the, the two biggest ones, interestingly, were whether people felt equipped for their role. Well, I think that was 30%, 36% worse. And then, you know, have I had someone to talk to or I feel like I have someone to talk to right now. Right. And that was 30% worse. And that particularly that someone to talk to really hit me. I was like, wow, that shouldn't be like that. So I guess it's what can we do around that, learn from that perhaps going forward as well. Yeah. And I mean, worth recognizing that just taking a step back and being like, woof, like HR has really held a lot of the weight during this time. Not only I think the emotional labor is huge, but also like the logistics. Yeah, of, yeah, and to your yeah. point about feeling equipped, like having to really solve very real, very time sensitive problems in a short amount of time. But yes, definitely the emotional labor 
um, helping employees through their grief and um, you know laying people off. And those aren't new to HR professionals, you know, very, very used to those things, but 2020 was just kind of next level and even into 2021. And like you said, you know, I, even anecdotally in speaking to customers, oftentimes we were seeing in their results, even if HR was feeling like, okay, I feel like I'm having an impact. I can see how the work I'm doing is linking to where we're going as a business and that I'm needed in this time, but just my general well-being and how burnt out they were was really clear and so I guess broadly at Culture Amp, we've really kind of leaned into this idea of like HR for HR. Like how can we how can we provide some support as a broader community for each other as to like giving people the space to work through some of these problems together and provide that kind of sounding board and realize that like, yes, you're not alone in this because clearly they don't always have that ear within their organization. So there's there's a little bit of that. But then also just like what can organizations do to provide that support or again, as we were speaking about, you know, helping them to set those boundaries and and buffer against that burnout, because otherwise we will, of course, see people are right now are rethinking their careers, they're rethinking their lives, they're looking for different flexibility. And so we want to work with them through that versus kind of work against them in that because people will be looking for, you know, how can I set up a life that's going to be aligned to what I'm looking for? Yeah, absolutely agree. And and I think, you know, I'm not expecting, I don't think any of us are a sudden big, massive recovery, like instantaneous recovery or anything mm-hmm. from this situation, but fingers crossed, we will recover. And then that will mean that some organizations start to grow again. So that's, you know, again, you're therefore doing the day job it's like okay we're growing great but that's more pressure more work depending Mm -hmm. on the pace of that so I guess for me there's an element of we need to make sure we have supported to the now but let's not forget to your point Melissa how we continue to put those support mechanisms internally in place so that we continual continually help HR to do what it needs to do to be effective both from a logistics side and kind of the processes and the tools and the enablers but also the emotional and kind of more personal type and you know, in all of that stuff that we need to do as we come out of this and start to go back on that fingers crossed positive trajectory of, of hopefully business growth, for example. So it's not a one off, I guess is the is the thing to press to oh, So I was just gonna kick us on to the next one actually. Actually, do you know what it's probably a bit of a segue. We're going in sort of the reverse order now because yeah. hindsight four talks about increasing surveys decreased participation. So companies ran twice as many surveys as they did pre-pandemic. And I guess this is touching on the point that Ems is talking about. It's like that, you've got that emotional, intangible side of it versus the, oh, we need to find out the lay of the land as to how our people are feeling. So let's just get as much of the quantitative data as we possibly can and try and find a kind of answer in that as to the challenges that we're facing. So if you can just, from this particular hindsight, just kind of elaborate on from that, from a sector perspective, because that's mentioned in the piece around healthcare organisations seeing an increase in, in participation. So I'm interested to find out why you think that was, or you guys at Coltrack think that was. Yeah, and I think this kind of ties back to Emma's point around how it's not a point in time conversation. It's more of an ongoing conversation. Um, But there's a balance to strike there. Uh, We very often hear the worry from, you know, business leaders that employees are going to get survey fatigue. And 
That is a real thing, but no matter how simplistic it sounds, we have seen time and time again that employees don't get survey fatigue, they get lack of action fatigue. If they are taking their time to give feedback and don't see anything done with it, or um, you know, they don't even see it being acknowledged in some cases, and that usually happens when the business is saying like, we need to know how our employees are doing, but like that's just a one-way flow of information. Employees then aren't seeing like, okay, but what are you doing with, with the useful feedback that I'm providing? So if that is the case and, and employees aren't seeing that clear link between what they're saying and what the business is doing about it or how, or how the conversation is furthering, then yes, 100%, you're going to see that that participation decrease. And so pre-pandemic, that usually meant that we were speaking to organizations and advising them against very, very frequent feedback strategies because it, it doesn't give anyone any time to take meaningful action on that feedback. But when COVID hit, I think this definitely felt like one of those cases where more frequent feedback was necessary because things were changing so quickly. And companies were often able to take action at a quicker pace because everyone's laser focused on, you know, COVID and making it through this together. And so I really loved seeing organizations get comfortable with a much more frequent conversation with their employees. But that being said, we did see participation go down a bit during this time. And that can come down to a couple of reasons. I mean, safe to say that people had a lot of things on their plate during this time. There was the pandemic, there were, you know, people had health issues, or they were caring for parents, kids, homeschooling. Sometimes it just doesn't fall on that to-do list. But it's also possible that companies, you know, especially uh, those that gathered feedback at a really quick cadence or, you know, once a month, if they weren't consistently taking action on that feedback, then you can kind of get into that lack of action fatigue. But Chris, you mentioned that some industries, we did actually see participation go up. So in healthcare in particular, participation rates increased over the past year. I mean, most of us can only imagine what it was like to be a healthcare employee during the pandemic. And so it may have been particularly important for those employees to provide their feedback on an ongoing basis or you know, perhaps unlike other companies and industries, healthcare organizations just didn't have the option or the luxury of not doing anything with the results. And so I think it's been interesting to see the experimentation of a lot of industries with more frequent feedback and also what industries have kind of cracked that that action taking process off the back of it as well. And on the kind of taking action point, it's a really great segue to the the fifth well, it's number three, but the fifth in our discussion today, <laughs> uh, takeaway, which was around sort of diversity. And, and this one I do find really, really interesting because on that point of taking action, you, you were looking at sort of perceptions of diversity and whether that had changed in a positive mm-hmm. way about, you know, it being valued, that type of thing um, over the past 12 months or so. But the worst thing, in my opinion, is with diversity efforts that they are seen as token. I.e., we do it because we know we have to do it. Totally. It has it has to be authentic. But that takes time. It's not something that you can instantly change. I mean, maybe within a team environment, you could decide, actually, we're going to mix the team up today and do that slightly differently. But at an organizational level, changing perhaps the representation of leadership teams, be it ethnicity, be it gender, whatever it be, can take time to do that for it to be the right decision to do it and not just to hit a quota. And I wonder if part of that 
it takes time might be underlying perhaps some of the responses under there. So, you know, the perception around that was a little bit of a decrease in some areas, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I completely agree. I think we did see a decrease in some of these areas and a lot of that, uh, I mean, we all saw in 2020 after the murder of George Floyd, that, that there was a rightful swell of Black Lives Matter protests, workplace activism. And that wasn't just in the U.S. This was, you know, globally as well in the U.K. And that activism moved into the workplace too. So it spurred a lot of organizations to start to collect feedback on their diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts. Again, not just in the U.S., but but globally. And so what we saw in the data was that even though awareness of the importance of DEI has gone up, the gen- and also general employee sen- sentiment and engagement has also gone up, the perceptions of diversity at their organization has decreased. And in particular, favorability against the question, my company values diversity and my company builds teams that are diverse, went down in the US, it went down in Europe, it went down in Oceania. So, and the reasons for that drop can come down to a few different things, but Emma, you kind of touched on one major one, which is that in the past year, a lot of organizations who hadn't asked employees for feedback on diversity, equity, and inclusion before were collecting this feedback for the first time. And it's likely that these companies who are asking for feedback for the first time or setting out a DEI strategy for the first time are a bit further behind than those that have been asking or seeing DEI as a priority for years. And so I do think that the initial drop is probably in reality a more accurate reflection of where most companies are. And that's important to recognize too, because just asking for feedback and listening to employees and understanding their realities is an important step, but it's the first step. And so, you know, it's a tough one because a lot of organizations are gonna need to face some harsh realities. And, but the most important thing really, as you mentioned, is for organizations and leaders and managers to be taking action and ensuring that this feedback and understanding leads to real change in the business. I guess it's just maybe a final thought on that before perhaps we sort of ask for your your final thoughts, Melissa. I'm, I'm absolutely with you. You've got to take action. But again, it's one of those things. If maybe you did a survey, let's say twice a year, right, so you don't get survey fatigue, but you ask the same questions about diversity. I'm just wondering, because some of these in- interventions can take longer, whether it's going to actually take a longer time to see that uptick. Yes. That, okay, we've seen some action but we know it's authentic action. It's not just the token because we have to meet the quota. Yeah. And some organizations, you know, unfortunately will be doing that because they have to, right? They just have to meet certain quotas for, for compliance reasons, whatever that is. But yeah, it, it's, I think that for me is going to be one of the most interesting things. And clearly in, you know, for a lot of organizations, that's come really to the fore now, not just for the reasons that you've said about, you know, George Floyd, but just in general, you know, it, we need to be a much more inclusive world now when it comes to the way that we work with people. Yeah. And this is true of any employee feedback actions that you're targeting. You know, there will be some things that maybe your focus area is around a policy and that might be quicker for you to implement and see the the benefits of it and see the impact of it on a quicker basis. If it's more deep rooted changes that you're looking for in your culture, yes, those are definitely going to take more time. That's around DEI initiatives, but also things like if career development and progression is something at your organization, sometimes those things can take a lot more time as well. 
One key thing that I think is a really crucial element in being able to understand and, and take action on DEI initiatives is intersectionality. And intersectionality is that kind of complex, cumulative way in which the, the multiple forms of discrimination combine and overlap to that influence the experience of mostly marginalized individuals. So for example, like sexism overlap by racism and classism, like that can really change the experiences of individuals in your organization. So for example, maybe you've collected feedback and you can see that, yes, you know, generally most of our employees feel like this inclusion initiative we've launched was effective. Great. But if we look at that feedback by race, do we find the same results? If we then add gender, like are Black women having a different experience at the company than white men? Are caregiving women having a different experience than caregiving men or non-caregiving women? Like these, we need to be kind of listening to and understanding these different perspectives and using that to think about the actions that we take to see if they're really being effective. And that nuance, and you know, I don't necessarily expect companies to jump from zero to a hundred. It's really about building those foundations and kind of working up to it, making sure that your company and leaders are ready to have those conversations. But I do think that that's a really important lens through which uh, to look at your your feedback and data. Mm. Well, Melissa, this has been amazing listening to some of the insights and getting your feedback. So thank you very much for coming on and sharing that. If I could just let you to give our listeners one kind of final 30 second if you like your jerry springer final thought um, <laughs> if you if you don't take anything else away from today make sure you take away this um, yes. from the from listening what would that be before we wrap up today yes always the the kind of the golden question um i do think that my main takeaway or the thing that i always try and uh and give as a, a piece of advice if i can and I'll link it back to our CEO um, at CultureAmp, Didier Alzinga, said, essentially, like, if you don't deliver on your culture in a crisis, then your culture meant nothing to start with. And when you stand successful on the other side, the, your culture will be why. And I say that because for me, I know we've talked a lot about trends and patterns that we're seeing uh, and our future predictions, but really the best way to find out what's top of mind for your employees and what they need and what's going to you know, prevent them from leaving or what they need to perform is to ask and to, to understand what's top of mind for your employees and then take some action and see how you've done on, on kind of implementing that. And so, you know, I always recommend like there's this urge to wait until the quote unquote dust settles. Uh, you're going through COVID, you know, a pandemic, and you're really trying to support employees and just get through it. But right now, when things are at their most uncertain, is really when you, it's most important to be listening to your people and making decisions with their feedback in mind. You know, if your culture is going to be the thing that gets you through to the other side, then we we should really be be utilizing it in that way. So I think that would probably summarize it to, <laughs> to a degree. <laughs> Now, that's amazing. Melissa, thank you very much for joining us today. It's been uh, great to listen to you. Oh, thank you for having me. And, uh, and as always, partner in crime. All I could think of was start skin the hutch, but I don't know oh, who would be who there. Watson I don't know. Oh, that's a good one. What, You'd what always... You Melissa. What was that? What were you going to say to put you Ooh, on the... <laughs> yeah, Watson and Holmes, is it? you took it right out of my okay. mind there. Okay. okay, now I need to ask, just before we close, who's who? I'm going to say... 
Emma's Watson and Chris's Holmes. Uh, <laughs> oh, shoot! You've made, you've made me so happy. Uh, no, thank you very much for listening to today's HR on the Offensive podcast, and we will catch you next time. <laughs> bye bye.